0: So, you all can open up your Bibles to Romans, and we're going to be in chapter 12, 9 through 21. I've titled this message, The Normal Christian Life. The Normal Christian Life. However, as we go through these verses, you will see that there's nothing normal about what Paul exhorts all believers to do. In fact, It's super normal. It's supernatural. There is no way we can do what Paul is asking us to do in these verses without the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet, this is what we would call the normal Christian life, which is supernatural, not human. The only way we can live in a way that glorifies God and honors him is if we live supernaturally or by the power of the Holy Spirit. John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Meaning nothing good, nothing that glorifies God, nothing that has spiritual, eternal impact. And so let's pray and let's quickly jump in Uh, to Romans 9. We'll start with, I'm sorry, Romans 12. We'll start with 9 and go through 13 first. Father, help us. Give us attention. Grip us by your word. Empower us, God, not only to understand, but the power to live out what we are being instructed to do. God, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We cannot do this on our own. Father, I pray that you would help us to pay attention And convict us where we need convicted. God, build us up where we need built up. Tear down what needs torn down. God, cut us only to heal us, I pray. And God, would you do your mighty transformational work through your word? We know you've said that you send out your word and it will accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish. So we pray that tonight, that it would accomplish much, bear much fruit in us In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, let's start with verses 9 to 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Or that could be translated, fervent in the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. In these five verses, there is 13 rapid-fire commands. 13 commands in only five verses. So let's unpack them and let's begin to seek to make application to our lives. You'll remember from last week, Pete very well explained to us that Romans 12 starts the practical section of Romans, meaning in light of all this good gospel theology, live this way, live by the mercies of God in view of God's mercies, do this. Verse nine starts out like this, let love be genuine, real, authentic, the second of the greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these, the law and the prophets hang. And so Paul wants the church at Rome and us here in Pittsburgh, Eternal City Church, to have genuine love for one another. And as your study guides point out, this is kind of an overarching theme here. And now what Paul's going to do is he's going to show what does it look like when Christians love one another? What does it look like when Christians love outsiders or the world, those who aren't Christians? And so let our love be authentic and let us not forget that the first fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5 is love. This is what God produces in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we live out the love. It's not just warm, fuzzy affection, though that's in the mix. It is action. It is self-sacrifice. It is being selfless. It is doing good to others. And so let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Now, this word abhor uh, in the Greek means hate strongly. Hate strongly. The CSB translates it detest. The NIV, hate. And the WNT, regard with horror. Regard with horror. What is evil? Now, if we are to be loving, the first thing that we need to do is hate, detest, regard with horror that which is evil. Now, we have a problem, okay? Because if you know the Gospels, Jesus, when teaching us to pray, said something like this, you know, knock, keep knocking, ask, uh, and keep asking, seek, and you'll find. And then he talks about God. He says, uh, what father, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give a snake, a serpent? And so, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father? So man, that's a problem. So, so Jesus was talking to his disciples <laughs> and he said, you're all evil. But here we're supposed to abhor what is evil. And yet the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And so you can see the tension if we're being biblically faithful. The Bible holds many truths in tension, yet they are not contradictory. They are paradoxical. Christians must be able to rest in paradox, meaning a seeming contradiction. It doesn't really contradict. It just seems to when you put the two truths side by side. And so here, how do, how do we work this one out? Well, quickly, we are no longer as born again, regenerate, new heart, having the Holy Spirit, only evil, Pete picked up on this last week. We are not depraved anymore as if we were not born again. Ezekiel 36 says, I will take out your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put a new spirit in you and I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my ways. And so we learn from Romans 7, there is nothing good in our flesh. Paul says, there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh. The flesh which dwells in all of us is evil and only evil continually. However, we have more than the flesh. Therefore, we are not totally depraved any longer. We were, but we are not anymore. So what we could say is even for ourselves, we should hate the evil within us, the flesh abhor hate it strongly despise the sin that dwells in you don't you hate when it shows up you're like again god help me and and we should grieve even over our own sin and i would say even more than the sins of others this is how you know you're growing as a christian you see your own sin a manifestation of the flesh in you and you're disgusted with yourself more than you're able to point out the wrong in everybody else. Look at him. Look at her. Look at how they're behaving. Look at their attitude. We abhor the evil that dwells within us first that we might not be hypocrites. And the genuineness of love in verse nine means we got to be real and authentic and not hypocritical. We need to hate the evil that's in us first. Amen? So so let's always look in the mirror, which is the perfect law of liberty, James calls it. Let's look at the law. Let's look in the mirror and let's see our own sin. And by the spirit, Romans 8, 13, let's seek to kill it in us first, before we go around trying to kill everybody else's sin. Amen? All right. So therefore, how do we apply this? Let's first hate the evil within us, and then let's hate the evil from without. And when we lovingly approach one another as brothers and sisters, did you know that sometimes you need the mirror of your brothers and sisters to show you that something's wrong? We grow in community because we have blind spots. I'm sure you've been either turning right or left on the parkway or the turnpike and you go to turn and, you know, you, oh, you almost just smashed somebody because you didn't see them. And thankfully they have a horn <laughs> and they let you know, hey, you don't see me right now, you're about to hit me. Well, we have blind spots to our own evil. And we need to be humble enough to let community, brothers and sisters, speak to us in ways that are confrontive and receive it. Wise people, wise women and men will receive the rebuke of fellow brothers and sisters and friends. We will not stiff arm a rebuke. We will welcome it. Maybe at first you might get a little bit hmm. But I pray that after that dies down a bit, you'll think about what was said. Okay, now I don't have time to unpack more. I wish I could. Hold fast to what is good. Meaning, in the scriptures, we know clearly what God's will is. Remember from last week, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is what is good. What God reveals to us in his word is the good. And we are to, by the Holy Spirit, live it out. We hold fast to it. So we despise the evil. We hate it genuinely, but we hold fast to the good. And would we be people filled with the Holy Spirit able to not only distinguish between the two, but actually have this kind of attitude towards evil and towards the good? Loving the good, encouraging the good, pointing it out in others. We'll get to this in a minute. And, and also pointing out the evil when it manifests in others, but with gentleness and respect. Listen, I don't know if you've ever been slapped in the face or you've had someone so close to you in your face yelling at you that like their spit gets onto your face. I've been there and nothing in me wants to just receive what they're saying in that moment. Oh yes, give me more, please. No, you're like this. You're like, go, keep going. Go ahead. Keep going. You know, and, and, and your inner jujitsu is rising up. You know, if you're Brett, your chi is, is dragon ball Zing, right? And you're, you're about to take someone's head off, but here, listen, here's the application. Let's not do that when we're confronting the evil in someone else. Let's let, gentleness and respect. Listen, I love you. Can I talk to you about something, please? And, and let's, let's not allow our attitude or the way we come at somebody to deter what God might want to do through you. Okay? Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Did you know that that word in the Greek, brotherly affection, is Philadelphia. Literally, the translation from the Greek into English is Philadelphia. What does Philadelphia mean? City of brotherly love. And so here, what's saying is, love one another with what? Brotherly love. In other words, Roman Christians, eternal city Christians, Christians in Pittsburgh, you are to love one another like a family. This is how you're to live out the gospel. You have family, brother, sister affection for one another. That's how you're to to look at one another and treat one another. Did you know that Paul instructing his son in the faith, Timothy, in the letter, uh, two letters that he wrote to him, he says, listen, regard older women as mothers, older men as fathers, younger women as sisters, and then peers, if you will, as brothers. This is how we're supposed to view one another family. So we have brotherly, sisterly affection for one another. And would God do that to us? Now listen, I have a sister and two brothers. There was four of us growing up. And if we achieved brotherly, sisterly affection, it was an anomaly, no doubt. I I was one of the ones, I'm ashamed to say this, but I was one of the ones who would find a big bendy stick and I would put crab apples on it and I'd be like, run. And, And these things would just smack my younger brother hard in the back Ah, and I'd put on another one and I'd just try to hit him as he ran away that's wicked man but I loved it I mean that was just enjoyable to me you know he would play goalie and I'd have you know one of those hard hockey balls and I'd be trying to hurt him with it you know I was wicked that's the evil that was in me that I was just expressing I was not born again you know and and that is not what we're supposed to do to each other like lobbing hurtful things at each other as we walk away. All right? We we are to love one another and seek the good for one another. I love the end of verse 10. I, I wish, I pray, oh God, do this to us, that this could be how our church operates. Outdo one another in showing honor. So outdo is like a competition type thing. And I know that many of us are very competitive in here when we play sports and play board games. We're we're a competitive bunch and I appreciate that. I would rather play a game with someone that's very competitive than someone that doesn't really want to win. But here, we have a command from God. You want to be competitive? Here it is. Outdo one another and honoring one another. Now he's not saying be untruthful, flattering, He's not saying speak untruth. No, he's saying find something praiseworthy, Philippians 4.8, find something praiseworthy in somebody and encourage them with it verbally. Hey, I saw this, or I just, I want you to notice this if you didn't notice it. And it's so interesting, friends, that when we do this to people, that very thing that we encourage often gets repeated. The more you encourage something in someone, the more they tend to operate in that zone. And so this goes for parents as well. If you see something that you appreciate in the child, name it and encourage it. Friends, we are in a world that this 2022 America that we live in, people are starving for encouragement. I know no one that's over-encouraged. Like, yeah, we got to bring them down a little bit. They're way too encouraged. There's encouragement coming out of their ears. No, most of us are discouraged. We are disrespected. We don't feel appreciated. And friends, wouldn't it be beautiful if our church could be the place where encouragement is the norm and it just flourishes? Our church being known for a church that encourages one another. Notice this is an expression of love. Because remember, let love be genuine. So outdo one another in showing honor. I love it. Let's move on. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. I love that word slothful. How many of you have ever observed a sloth at the zoo or on a video? Man, it takes them an hour just to eat a pretzel. You know, they're like, Ugh. You ever seen Zootopia? They're at the DMV, the sloths. It's it's fantastic. I know that's a cut on the DMV. I get it. Do not be slothful in what? Zeal. Now listen, zeal in itself is very neutral. Terrorists are zealous for their cause. So zeal is in itself not a virtue because you could be very zealous for evil, right? So what should we be zealous for? fervent in the spirit or fervent in the spirit and to serve the Lord. That's what our fervency should be aimed at, serving the Lord. There's a great book title that I just came across. It was Busy for Self, Lazy for God. And I thought, I really want to buy this book right now. And I looked at it and I was like, and I looked over at my shelf and saw the 70 books I haven't read and I resisted temptation and by the spirit I put to death the misdeeds of the body and I said no and I clicked off. Someone should, yeah, thank you, Eddie. I won. I won. I won. But I'm not going to forget that title and I'll probably buy it next week probably. (laughs) I can only resist for so long. So so the idea here is we we are often very zealous for ourselves. Like, I got this going on. I got that going on. I mean, you know, I don't got that much time to do much else but me. And how much time does God get, friends? It's a convicting command, isn't it? Be zealous for what? Serving the Lord. Now, interestingly, serving the Lord looks like serving one another. In other words, how are you doing at serving your fellow brothers and sisters? Isn't this Philippians 2? You know, have the same mind as Christ had. Don't look to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Be about serving, loving, moving forward other people. Now, we need to have boundaries. All right, so it's not unqualified. We do need to sleep. We do need to eat. We do need to get away. Jesus got away often and, and spent time with God, and he probably took a nap out there in the wilderness. can imagine he was out there napping because he was exhausted on a boat with the storm raging not waking up. I'm sure he went out in the wilderness and took a nap. All that being said, if we looked even at our time, I wonder if we even give 10% to God. Not money, Time. Do, do we even allot 10% of the 24 hours in a day to God by serving others and so by doing serve the Lord? Friends, this is challenging, but this is what love does. And Paul says, look, zealous. And I love uh, the ESV always gives uh, alternative translations. I think the, the in brackets is better fervent in the spirit, meaning it's the spirit empowering this. The zeal comes from God himself, enabling us to serve him. Isn't that amazing? It's so consistent with the verse I quoted earlier. Without me, you can do nothing. And so God, light me up inside. In fact, Doug Moo says an alternative translation is this, be set on fire by the spirit you ever hear someone say man they're on fire for god that's a that's a worthy translation be set on fire by the spirit for serving christ by serving others and we can know that when we do so this is the case friends look The end of the doctrinal and practical section of 1 Corinthians 16 starts off with his plans and and Paul's final greetings. How does he end the teaching? Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters in Corinth, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And look at this, knowing. The word knowing means you can know this for sure. You can count on this, bet on this, and it will win. That your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Did you know that the word vain means empty? Friends, realize when you serve God, you are literally, according to Matthew 6, laying up treasure in heaven that moth and rust cannot destroy and the thieves cannot break in and seal. When you serve God, you are doing eternal things eternally significant things. Now listen, I subscribe to Netflix. Alright, Don't stone me. I even subscribe to Disney Plus because I like the Star Wars. Yes, I've seen all three episodes of Obi-Wan and I'm waiting for Wednesday for the next one to come out. Okay, I'm that dude. But friends, listen, I doubt I'm laying up treasures in heaven, laying in my bed with my fire TV controller. And neither are you. Amen? Now, Can we give a half hour to an hour to watch a show? Absolutely. I think we do need to recreate. Recreation. Recreate. That's what that means. So we do need to recreate. But listen, eight hours a day watching Netflix is not recreation. That's idolatry, friends. You say, I only do four. That's small eye idolatry, right? I love you guys. I'm just trying to make practical application, okay? This is the application section. I know one movie of Lord of the Rings, and it's four hours. I get it, all right? So I'll give you a pass on that movie if you're watching that one. It's the only pass you get. I'm just kidding. I'm playing. The point is, and I I am playing here, okay? There's a place for movies. There's a place for, you know, recreation and swimming and, and enjoying fellowship. What I'm saying is, Think about your week. How much are you devoting it to serving God? Just be real with yourself. And could your service to God be qualified as zealous or on fire? Are you even smoking? You know what happens when you put the fire out after the the evening's over? You pour the water on it. It's like, are you even doing that? Can we smell any smoke coming off you? (laughs) May God help us, may God help us, to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, set on fire by the spirit, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Friends, you want to do something significant in the world? You want to change the world? You want to do something that's impactful? Serve Christ. You are doing eternal things when you serve your brothers and sisters in a very mundane way. Remember, I called this message the normal Christian life, because this is how we're supposed to live. Yet, when we live the way we're instructed to live in the word, we are living eternally significant lives. All right, let's move on. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Now, the hope that we have is the hope of heaven. It's the hope that one day, all the darkness will be swallowed up by light and goodness. All the sad things, as Tolkien says, will come untrue. All of it. This is our hope. Is that one day, all the evil inside me and you will be purged forever, banished. Isn't that good news? Doesn't that produce hope in you? Every time you fail and fall, you can look forward and say, one day, I will not even have the capacity to sin. Amen. Temptation will be nowhere to be seen. Even if I see something evil, I won't be pulled towards it because there's nothing in me to be attracted to it. This is our future, friends. New heavens, new earth, new universe. Physical remade, resurrected bodies to enjoy eternity with. That's our hope, that God will finally be glorified. In fact, the prophets say that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth or cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. How much do the waters cover the sea? Completely. The water is the sea. Therefore, the glory of the Lord will be existence on earth fully unstopped and we don't even have a category for that but that's what we're promised that's the hope we have be patient in tribulation now many of us myself included are not patient when we're suffering when we're going through trouble and trial the last thing that rises up in us is usually patience i will wait on the lord i will rest in his sovereignty I will trust him in the middle of the storm. That's often not what's happening. And, and I will admit that's often not what's happening in me either. We need to get to this place by the Spirit, and we need to ask help from our brothers and sisters in community. Friends, I, I keep referencing community because this church, I'm sorry, this letter was written to a church, not an individual. Right? So we individually do live out these commands, yet we live them out in community. In community. And so, may we reach out to brothers and sisters when we're in trials, troubles, and tribulations, and ask them for help. Pray with me. Walk with me. Don't let me alone in this season. And I guarantee you, friends, if you would let people in on your troubles and tribulations, I think they would want to walk with you. Often we have no idea what's going on, and so therefore, how can we get in your life at that point? You have to let us know what's happening. All right. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Now, my mind goes immediately to Thessalonians 5, and so I want to encourage you, if you've never me- uh, memorized a Bible verse before, look, two words. You can memorize 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Say it. If you can just remember that, you've memorized a Bible verse. You want to memorize two? Pray without ceasing. Say it. There you go. If you can remember, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, you've memorized two Bible verses. And then 18, give thanks in all circumstances. You're like, I don't want to memorize that one. I don't want to give thanks in all circumstances. I want to complain in almost all circumstances, but not give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What's the will of God for my life? You need to rejoice always. You need to pray without ceasing and you need to give thanks in all circumstances. It can't be clearer than that. That's God's will for you. Unmistakable, clear. Now, remember... Pray without ceasing. Now, does that mean that we should be on our knees and forget to eat and don't go to work and get fired? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that you should have an attitude of open communication with God consistently and constantly. Even if you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep, you can go to God. He's there. If you're in the middle of a trouble and a trial and you're frustrated, maybe your adrenaline is spiked because you're in some terrible situation, what can you do? You can go to God. Perhaps you're sad and grieving and there's even tears, what can you do? You can go to God. Perhaps you're enjoying beautiful scenery or perhaps a beautiful time with friends, what can you do? You can give thanks to God. You see, this is is prayer, praying without ceasing. It's that God doesn't live in this little tiny closet of my life over here. He lives in the whole of your life. You welcome him into every part. We don't compartmentalize as Christians. God, you come into every aspect of my life. What does that look like? That looks like rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. That's what it looks like. Yeah, you know, that's impossible. Amen. The Christian life is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Friends, this walk is a supernatural walk. Remember Augustine in his confessions. God, command what you will, but grant what you command. Command what you will. Tell me whatever you want me to do. Grant what you command, but give me the power to do what you're commanding me to do. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, contributing is a money word. And so this means in the community, when needs arise that are financial or otherwise, perhaps you know someone's having a problem with a car or a problem with their house or something that needs attention and monetary attention, the church can and should, and I've seen it over and over and over in the past eight years. In, in July, Eternal City will be eight years old. I've seen this happen over and over and over again. So I wanna encourage you, you all are a generous church. And, and you're like, well, I don't know about that. That's because we don't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing according to the Sermon on the Mount. But listen, this happens all the time. Praise God. And I just want to encourage you, keep going. Okay? You all are very generous in this church and I want to yes and amen you. Uh, here's the encouragement. Keep going. Like, don't be slothful in generosity. Let's just, let's increase it. Let's press the gas pedal down, and let's keep going. Amen? And if you find yourself tonight saying, well, I've not been generous, friends, you can start. Let's start. Tonight. Help someone. Give to the church, and let the church help someone through your money. Okay? Okay? And and then I love the second part, seek to show hospitality. Now, the church in in the first century, uh, hospitality was essential, especially in a Jewish context because Jewish people were often cut off from family, cut off from society, cut off from jobs because they claimed Jesus as the Messiah. And so they were completely barred economically and in a family way, and so they had nothing. So what did they have? They had the church family. And the church family would bring people in. Uh, I can illustrate this. I, many, many times in my own home, I've had people living in it that were not part of my family. Okay? I, my basement was like an apartment for many people many times. Okay? It, even unwisely. I had a guy, I was, I was newly married... I had a tiny little apartment and I said to this guy, come on, come on, you can stay with me. And I I convinced my wife, you know, it took a lot of convincing. Give you a couple months, man, get on your feet, we'll find you an apartment. We moved out, he didn't. (laughs) That's real, that's what happened. I bought a house, okay? That's one illustration of how not to do hospitality, all right? We set limits, we set boundaries, we don't, you know, conflate But uh, anyway, I can coach you on that. I've done it too many times and I've done it the wrong way and I've learned a lot. But the church should show hospitality. Brett just picked up the book, When Helping Hurts. Amen, bro, he just flagged it in the back. Yeah, so if that's you, if you're you're actually hurting people by trying to help them, I, I suggest that book as Brett just flagged it. Okay, but seeking to show hospitality is this, we're open with our lives. Like, if this was the image, the blinds would be up, the door would be open, and we're not like peeking through the windows at who's intruding in my life. No, we're open with our lives. We're like, come on in. Come on in. Come on into my life. To to be hospitable in the first century and in the Old Testament literally meant welcoming strangers. That's what it meant. But here, we are to be hospitable to one another. We are to welcome one another into our lives. Now, one thing I'll say again about Eternal City that I just love is that even after worship gatherings and other events and things we do outside of the church building, man, people hang out. I mean, they they kick it. They don't just, all right, peace. I'll see you later. Like there is a openness to each other's lives, which I appreciate. And I would just say, keep going, keep it up, invite more people over, invite people into your home for dinner, invite them perhaps on vacation with you. Uh, perhaps you would invite them to do one of the ministry things that you do. They don't come. So, hey, would you come and check this out? Do this with me. Okay. Hospitable. Let's also welcome outsiders in as much as we can with wisdom. All right. I don't have time. So I, I got to start burning through uh, the next section here. But look at this. Hebrews 13, 16 says this. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. Look at this. When you share what you have, hospitable, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I love that. Meaning when you are generous to others and you are hospitable to others, God sees that like an Old Testament sacrifice and he is pleased with how it smells. Do you ever notice in the Old Testament, the, the smoke is seen going up to heaven and it pleases God when he smells it? When you are generous with your possessions, your home, your time, your emotional energy, your life, that's a sacrifice to God and he is pleased with it. Isn't that good news? That's what Hebrews 13, 16 says. And this is what Paul is telling us to do. Be hospitable. Meet the needs of others. All right. So this section, we're going to fly through in nine minutes. Okay. Because a lot of it is connected. A lot of it is connected. All right. Diane, you get your wish. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Okay, most of us, that's the reverse. (laughs) We immediately curse when we're being persecuted. Not even persecuted, just cut off on the parkway, right? Curses, you know, meanwhile, we don't want those four-letter words showing up in worship gathering, do we? But see, what's being exhorted here, commended here is, listen, it is supernatural living when someone aims evil at you and persecutes you and purposes to hurt you. You don't curse them, you bless them. That's supernatural Christianity, friends. We, We think of supernatural Christianity as like power signs of miracles and wonders. How about you bless someone cursing you? And we'll be like, that's supernatural. Who does that? Christians, full of the Holy Spirit, do that. And so if, if you have been aimed at in a malign way, you know what to do. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This means entering into the pains of and the joys of others. So, I I understand. We're like, man, I only got so much emotional energy in the bank and it drains quickly. And so I got to protect that for my Netflix series. (laughs) I had to do it. Sorry. I, I only got so much emotional capital and it gets drained quickly. I can't get involved with emotionally draining people. You can if you have the Holy Spirit. You can. And so, You enter into the hard. You enter into the darkness. You enter into the tears with people. And you know why you would do that? Guess who else is there? God. You want to go find God? Go out on a quest looking for God? Enter into the hurts and pains of other people and you'll find him there. If you do everything in your power to avoid the pain and hurt of others, friends, you are walling yourself off from God and others and his blessing. May we not do that. May we be ones who enter in to the suffering of our fellow brothers and sisters. But look at the second part. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. This one's hard because it means you are actually able to enter into the happiness and the good things of others. Listen, that means you're not jealous That means you're not envious. It means you're not coveting. It means you're not spiteful towards them because how do they get that good and I don't? No, it's something good's happening to them and you're like, yes, like it was happening to you. I can give you an example. (laughs) I played soccer when I was a very young person, okay? And I had no idea of the positions other than the goalie. So my wife says, you should should coach soccer because they need soccer coaches for Penn Hills and your daughter's playing. And I'm like, why not? Okay, so here the non-soccer guy is coaching the kids. And thankfully I had a coach who did know what he was doing, so I was like his assistant coach. And you know, I'd coach the kids, he'd be like, no, 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 don't do that, do this. And I'd be like, oh, that's what you do, okay. So yesterday I was coaching the soccer game. One young guy in particular on our team is really good, his name's Jonathan, and he got two goals and he needed one more to get a what? A hat trick, that's right. I said, bro, you get a hat trick? I was like, Coach Ethan, he's the head coach, we'll take that hat off and we'll throw it, man. He was like, I'm gonna get it. He got the third goal. First thing he did, looked over at us, I went like this, took off my hat, and he was like this, and I was like, Ethan, take your hat off. He's like, and he threw it. And we just started clapping for him. And that is a small picture of entering into the joy of someone else. Man, I was excited for him. It was like I scored three goals. Yeah. Friends, did you, do you know that jealousy, envy, coveting, that is rottenness to your soul. Yeah. Friends, if you're bitter when something good happens to someone else, you are robbing yourself of potential joy. Oh. Enter in to the joys of others, and you can share in their happiness. This is available for you. You're like, I'm a miserable person. How much are you obeying this command? Seriously. Seriously. We like it when the Bible's applied, so let's do some application. How often are you entering into the joys of other people? You're not saying, must be nice. Must be nice to go there and be able to buy that. And on and on we go, don't we? With our coveting, with our envy, with our jealousy, not obeying the command to enter into the joy of others. And I just want to encourage you, friends, if you've never done this, start. Enter in. And you can find excitement in other people's excitement. You can have an up when someone else is up. Often, when someone else is up, we look at it, we're like, and then we come down. All the while, you're hurting yourself and you're not even realizing it. Did you know that God doesn't often have to like judge us or punish our wrong? He just lets us have our sin and we crush ourselves. You don't want to obey the command? You want to be jealous? You want to covet? You want to be envious? Go for it. I don't need to judge you. You're judging yourself. Friends, we should be thankful that these verses are in here. Okay, let's not wear them like a heavy blanket. Let's say, all right, I'm going to repent. Meaning I'm going to stop being envious. I'm going to stop being jealous. I'm going to stop coveting. And I'm going to enter into the joys of others. I'll give you one more illustration. Man, I got two minutes left. This is terrible. As some of you know, my wife and I were, were not able to have a child. And by being prayed for in a James 5 anointing way, my wife got pregnant. It was, it was through prayer. It was supernatural. Okay. I remember telling my friend, uh, a hip hop friend, and and I was just, you know, sharing the news and he got so excited. It surprised me. He was like, yeah, you know, and he was just so amped up. And I was like, Oh man, I started backing up. I mean, he entered He was happier than I was. I mean, that's obedience to this command. He was like, yes. You know, that's, that's available for you friends. Your brother or sister has something good happen to them. They tell you about it. That good could be your good. All right, let's move on. Do not, uh, I'm sorry, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Now, the fact that this has to be a command means it's not going to happen naturally. There's going to be disharmony and disunity often, and we have to strive by the power of the Holy Spirit to love one another in this way. What way? Be in harmony with one another. Now, it doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we uh, all think the same thing and have the same convictions and, and agree politically or economically or socially. That's not what it means. It means that we put those things aside to love one another, Because this is my brother or sister in Christ. That's what it means. And so we have unity. Did you know that this is one of our five core commitments to unify people? There's a reason that the Bible has to put commands on this kind of thing. How good it is when brothers dwell in unity. And so here he's saying, look, be in harmony with one another. And then look at the opposite. Here's how this doesn't happen. Do not be haughty. What does the word haughty mean? We don't often use that word. Prideful. Puffed up. I love the word puffed up. It, it means this. You you ever pump up a, a tire? Right? You got this deflated tire and you either go to get-go and you put the little pump on or you have a bicycle power. You pump a ball up. It's deflated and small and it goes. Puff, 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 puff. That's what we do. We puff ourselves up so we look bigger than we actually are. Well, look at me. I'm pretty big deal, aren't I? And the idea here is, no, don't be haughty, don't puff yourself up, don't be prideful, rather, associate with the lowly. So how does he uh, apply this? We should associate with people who are lower than us in any way or category. Often we want to associate with people who are higher than us because it makes us feel like we're important. Like I got all these important friends. Okay. The command here is: All right, let's put the important friends away and let's let's hang out with the lowly. And if you refuse to hang out with people who are lower than you, economically, socially, maybe even uh, personality-wise, just awkward. Listen, friends, you are robbing yourself. Isn't it interesting when Jesus told the parable about having a feast at your house? He said, "Go out and invite the lame, the blind." those who can't repay you, the poor, and God will repay you. You'll be blessed by him. And you're like, I don't know any blind people. I I don't either, honestly, which I guess is a good thing, right? But the idea is think of the person who is lonely and often not invited. And when you're doing something, think of that person. Call them, invite them over. All right, we don't have time, so we got to keep going. Uh, You could translate that, give yourself to humble tasks, but I think the context lends itself uh, to associating with people because the idea is love one another and all the contexts have been within people, not within tasks. Okay, so I I think the better translation is people. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, this is the first principle of wisdom. The first principle of wisdom is understand you're not wise. And if you have that In the back of your mind, you're actually beginning on the wisdom path. All the phones are going off. What's it mean? Amber alert, silver Suzuki. Don't be wise in your own sight. In other words, if you will have a humble and realistic opinion about yourself, you remember from earlier last week, uh, think of yourself rightly with reality. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Verse 17, repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. This goes back to uh, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And so here we are to pay no one evil for evil. Now in context, you'll see how this works out. How can we not do that? but rather seek to do what is honorable in the sight of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love that that is qualified. You can try to live peaceably with everyone, but some people will not want to live peaceably with you. And you know what? That's okay. You are responsible to, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But there's some people, they don't want peace and they don't want to rock with you. And you know what? That's okay. You've done what you needed to do. And so if they're not willing to walk with you, that's on them and not you and you can rest. But your job is to try to live at peace with all people as much as it depends on you. That would be doing what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is ready, says the Lord. Okay, so this is how we cannot return evil for evil and how we can bless when we're persecuted. Because we know that God is a just God and he will get justice. No one is getting away with anything. And friends, if you were to express your wrath, get this, perhaps it wouldn't be strong enough for what they deserve. Or perhaps it might be too strong because we have a warped view of how to pay people back. God knows exactly what perfect justice would be for the wrong that you've received. And so what we can do is exercise faith and say, you know what? In Romans 12, it says, I shouldn't repay evil for evil because God will get vengeance. How many of you guys saw the new Batman movie? It was good, right? I liked it. Remember that opening scene where he comes up on the uh, the skeleton crew and they're like, who are you? Can someone quote it? I'm vengeance. I am vengeance. And so that is not to be us, friends. (laughs) Someone evil against us, we're not to be like, it's Batman time, baby. Let's get him. Okay? We are to be rather absorbing the evil and blessing them in return. You say, that's crazy. Well, it's not just Romans 12. Look, it's Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament says, and I will repay, which is where Paul got that from. For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. Man, you don't want God coming at you like that. And that is the promise we have from Scripture that when we're wronged, God sees it and He will take vengeance. So, God is the only one who can rightly say, I am vengeance and be right in it. He knows what is right to repay the wrong that you have received. Okay, verse 20 to the contrary, this is what you should do instead to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If, you're, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And look what will happen. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Okay, now, now this, what does that mean, burning coals on the head? Well, it does come from Proverbs. So it's Proverbs 25, 21, 22. If your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Okay, so what does it mean? Here's what I think it means. In ancient warfare, there was giant walls. And if they're trying to scale the walls, like a bunch of enemies, ladders on the wall, they're climbing up the ladders. One way to stop them from breaching the walls is to take a bunch of burning coals and dump it on them while they're coming up the ladders. You're not going to be climbing after a bunch of red hot coals come splashing on your face. Are you? And so interestingly here, the picture is one of warfare and how are the Christians to fight war? Well, if your enemy's hungry, you feed them. If your enemy's thirsty, you give them something to drink. In this way, you are fighting war. You're like, I don't like that. Do not overcome, I'm sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, friends, we never return evil for evil. We never go hand for hand or eye for eye. We always return good for evil. Always. This is the way of Jesus. And I don't have time to go to the Sermon on the Mount, but if you will go home and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you will see this fleshed out in great detail. Most assuredly, Paul took much of what he was saying here directly from the Sermon on the Mount. And isn't it interesting that this is what Jesus did? He overcame evil by doing good, but not just doing good, by submitting himself to being crushed by the evil. How did Jesus win? He lost. You realize that, right? Jesus had the power to wipe out all those who were stretching his hands out, piercing him with giant railroad spikes, slapping him in the face, pulling out the hair of his beard, punching him in the face. He could have been like, enough! And they all would have just fell over dead. Yet he submitted to that beating. And then on the cross, went so far as to say, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing they have no idea that they're killing God. If they knew I was the creator who was sustaining their very breath, they wouldn't be pulling out my beard. They wouldn't be punching me repeatedly in the face until my eyes swelled up and I couldn't see out of it. Yet, Jesus overcame evil with good by submitting to that. And we have the revelation of God that it was actually the Father through wicked men punishing his Son for me and for you. Friends, Jesus took that beating for our sin, not his own sin, our sin. He was soaking up the wrath of God like a sponge so that there'd be none left for us to soak up. Isn't that good news? That in Christ, we are safe and free from the justice and judgment and anger and punishment of God. In fact, Romans 8.1 goes so far as to say, in Christ, there is no condemnation. None. Not even 1%. Not even .00001%. None for you, none for me. How? Jesus overcame evil by doing good. What was Jesus' crime? Healed people, fed people, brought the dead back to life, spoke truth. Never did anything evil, not even once. And yet was crushed for it. Overcame the evil by doing good for us. So friends, here's what we're going to do to end this message. uh, We're going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to head out and we're going to sing three songs in response. Hey, this is a reverse service. So we're going to sing now in response to what you've just heard. Surely some of those commands hit you. (laughs) Do business with God. Don't allow this moment to go past without allowing God to work in your life. Don't stiff arm the movement of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a command that says, don't quench the spirit. Listen to him, submit to him, repent if you need to repent and let us seek to walk by the spirit and do good to one another, to love one another. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness. We thank you for Jesus in our place, our only hope. Father, I do pray that as we seek to apply what we've heard tonight, that you would give us help, help from your spirit, Help us to walk in a way that's worthy of the salvation we've received. God, guide us by your spirit. Would we even see some progress in these commands, I pray? Some progress is progress. God, help us. Let us see what you're doing in our lives. Change and transform us, we pray. Give us grace now as we worship you through song and taking communion. It's in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Would you